So um, I was in the airport this week. I spent some time in the airport. And uh, it's amazing what you can buy in an airport. You can buy pretty much anything, and it's all overpriced. I mean, like crazy overpriced. But it's amazing what we think we need when we get in certain situations, okay? We think we need, you know, I really want one of those neck pillows that doesn't work. Has anyone ever enjoyed a neck pillow? You know what I'm talking about, that little ring thing? Maybe one or two people, but I get that thing, and I can't ever get comfortable with that. Maybe my neck is too short or too fat. I don't know. But you don't really need that. But so, but there's something in you that's drawn over to the, the different displays. Maybe it's because I got a seven-year-old kid, but you kind of walk to the airport like, man, I need a $10 sandwich that's been made three weeks ago. I'm hungry. Or you walk up there and you're like, I do need that memory foam neck pillow for $22. That's exactly what I need in my life. This is going to make that better. Or you're in the situation where now they got like a headphone vending machine area where you can pay like $200 for a set of headphones. And you're thinking, oh, that sounds pretty. I know my flight's only an hour, but that looks pretty good. There is something we have this. And maybe it's maybe you don't do this. OK, but I do. I, there's just something in us. There's a reason they put that stuff in the store in, in the airport is because there is an attraction to things that we think we need, but we don't need them. How many of us have saved up or wanted something for a really long time only to get it and it not fit the bill and not to live up to what it was meant to do? Have anybody ever done that before? We think we need a lot of things, but there's only a handful of things we actually really need. And there is someone we need more than those things that we think we need. And we got in the book of Exodus, and if you've been, if you're new with this or you've been following along, we've been walking through the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus tells the story of how the people of Israel, God saved them out of the out of the land of Egypt, and He moved them to at this point, we're going to pick up in Exodus 19 to a place where He's going to show Himself to them in on top of this mountain called Mount Sinai, which is about 7,000 feet above sea level. It's a, it's a pretty big mountain. So the people are encamped around this mountain, and God's about to show up, and he's met their needs in every way. When they were hungry in the wilderness, you know what he gave? He gave bread from heaven called manna, and he gave quail for them to eat. Also, when they were thirsty, he made water come out of a rock by Moses striking it, showing God's power through Moses. So God has met their needs physically, but he is about to meet their needs in Exodus chapter 19 spiritually here. And I want us to see in this passage three things that we really need spiritually. Three things that we need spiritually. If you pick up with me in Exodus 19, I'm going to begin in verse 9. What we got here in this situation is Moses going up to the people of God and coming down. Going up and coming down. He goes up to this mountain. The mountain, on top of the mountain, God has decided to appear and come on top of the mountain to meet with Moses. And Moses goes up and he hears from God and he goes down from the mountain and he tells the people what God has said. And so this is kind of the cycle that goes up. And we, we pick up in verse 9 and it says this. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So he's telling Moses, go get them ready because I am going to appear to the people of Israel in the form of a cloud. Okay. Now we know something from scripture. God is spirit. Okay. God is the invisible God, but he manifests himself or reveals himself in different situations in different contexts through these things called, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you a word that you're going to leave here and be like, I can use a big word. Okay. This word is called theophany. Okay. Everybody say that with me. Theophany, which means all it means is Theo is like, is the, is the Latin for God. Okay. And it means 
God appearance, God showing himself to us. This is an example. The reason God shows himself in things that we can comprehend is because it's just the same reason why somebody, when they give you a, when they teach you a concept, they usually use an example to help you teach the concept. Like the example of division. All right, I get these in my house now. We get the, the math papers that come home at school starting back in August, and so these math papers are going to start coming back. So how do they teach about division? Well, they give an example, okay? Sally's got nine apples, okay? Sally's got two other friends. They're going to each have the equal amount of apples. Out of those nine apples, how many would each friend get? And if you don't get the concept right away, maybe you have a teacher in your life that took nine apples and would give three to one kid, and three to one kid, and Sally would keep her three. And then that example helps you see and understand. Well, let me tell you, that's exactly what God does. We can't understand the great majesty of his holiness, which is going to be displayed to us in this theophany, okay, this appearance of God, okay? He is using things that are germane to us to help us understand how great and how big he is. Does that make sense? He's good. We can't really fully comprehend the grandeur and the greatness of God, but he appears to us in certain ways so that we can understand. He gives us an example. And so what we pick up here he says i'm going to come to you in a cloud i'm going to come to the people in a cloud and i need you to get them ready so verse 10 when moses told the words to the people um excuse me verse 10 it says this when moses told the words of the people to the lord the lord said to moses go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow set them apart and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up onto the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, then they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and he consecrated the people and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Now we're going to discuss that in a minute because that sounds weird. But let's go back to this first. Who is the one who is the go between between God and the people at this point? Moses. Moses here is a prophet. Moses is one who speaks for God. God gives him a message and he speaks directly that message to the people. He is an intercessor. He is a mouthpiece. He is a prophet. And I want you want, what I want you to see here is that because God is so holy and he is so lifted up and because our intellects are, though we may have vast intellect compared to other people, compared to God's intellect, we don't have the intellect that, that he has. Secondly, our, our minds and our understanding have been affected by sin. And we, though we see, though we can see things truly, we often don't see things as we ought to, especially when it comes to God. And in this particular situation, God has to have God in his, to reveal himself to us. He has to have somebody who is a mouthpiece for him. And in this case, it's Moses and Moses is the go between between God and his people. He's the one who is speaking God's word to the people. And I want to say you this, one thing that you that we really need in our life. As much as we need food, water, oxygen, is we need God's revelation. Now, when I say the word revelation, you may Im- immediately go to the last book in the Bible 
which is the book of Revelation. And you're thinking, I've read a little bit of that and people have scared me enough with the end of that book because there's dragons and there's a, a harlot riding a beast with seven horns and there's a battle in which there's going to be blood up to the reins of a horse. When, I, when you tell me I need God's revelation, Matt, I don't think I need that in my life. That sounds like stranger things on drugs, okay? What are you talking about? No, I'm not talking about the book of Revelation, okay? Although that is an inspired part of God's word. What I am talking about is we need God to reveal himself. And if he does not reveal himself, we're left groping in the darkness to see who God is. But God has never left his people to grope in the darkness to try to figure out who he is. God has always been the revealer. He reveals himself through in different ways and in different times and in different seasons. And in this particular place, he reveals to the people who he is and speaks his word to them through Moses. And so we always need God's revelation to understand who he is. Because we live in a day and age in which everybody's opinion is their own God. Which, my God would never do this, my God would never do this, my God would never do this. And here's the problem. When you say my God, most of the time you are just reflecting your own thoughts, beliefs, and actions on God. Projecting that so you can justify and we can justify our behaviors and our little niche areas of sin that we like to hold on to. But the Bible and the scripture, what what we see in the scriptures is God showing you don't know who I am. But let me tell you who I am so that you can know truly who I am. You may not comprehend fully, but you can know truly who God is. Why? Because God has revealed himself. And we look in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. We see the necessity of this, this revelation in our life again in Hebrews chapter 1. In fact, it picks up Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 through 4 says this long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets one of them is Moses right but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world and he is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the upholds the universe by the by the word of his power and after making purifications for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs who is that talking about who is this one who has paid for sins and seated at the right hand of God and makes intercession who is that? that it's jesus so there's a pattern remember the book the old testament has patterns to help us understand better the new testament how we ought to live so here's the deal god has always been a god who is high and lifted up and his people can't completely comprehend but he speaks and through a prophet or a mouthpiece he comes and reveals who he is so you can understand it fully and here's the great thing there's someone greater than moses that came long ago the prophets spoke to God on behalf of our fathers. But now we have a definitive word. It's Jesus. And we need a revelation. We need to understand that God has revealed himself in Jesus and that he has revealed himself in the scriptures. And that's how we know God. And that's how we can understand him. We may not understand God fully, but we can know him truly. And that's what we see here with Moses going up and down the mountain. We get a picture. Communication can be very difficult. You realize that, right? Even amongst husband and wives, communication can be difficult. Communication can be, can be stopped by a lot of noise. Am I right? 
Communication can be stopped by zoning the other person out. Communication can be stopped by generational gaps. Communication can be stopped by any number of things. But I want you to know something. God has been clear in communicating his word through his people. It's a pattern that he began in the Old Testament, and it's been fully realized in Jesus. And now we don't have to grope for what's true. We understand who God is because Jesus is the exact imprint of him. And he made purifications of sins, and now he has had the name above every name. And so when we see this, there's something that there was a disconnect that keeps us from getting to God. But a mouthpiece came, and the greatest mouthpiece that connects us with God is Jesus. He is the one who has spoken the definitive word so that we can hear. And I just want you to get that. We need revelation in our life. And that, I want to, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about extra revelation, something that, that appears later on. God has definitively spoken. But we need the, the revelation of God in our lives, day in and day out. We need to believe and walk in light of the of jesus and his finished work we also need to run to the word of god to understand how we ought to feel believe act and love god and others that is that we need revelation in our life because the people had been fed for a long time on quail and manna and all that kind of stuff where were they going what was the point the point was to get them to sinai so they could see god i want you to get this what is the purpose of your life? What is it? We're going to answer it with a lot of different things. Maybe you might answer it to raise a good family. I say that's a good, that's a good plan, but that's insufficient. Well, I, I don't know. It's be a good person. And so that when my family, when I leave this planet, my family goes, but they, they love me. And that's a good, that's something great to strive for, but that's not the goal and purpose of your life. It's going to leave you empty. The goal and purpose of your life is to know God, to glorify God, and enjoy him forever. And he has led to this place. That's what you need is a, to understand his revelation. Second link I want you to see is in a need that we have. This is not like a need at the... And these are not needs like at the airport needs, okay? Like there's this, this things that we think we want, but we don't. This is a true need. We need God's revelation. We need to understand it, and we need to walk in it. Secondly, we need to approach God seriously... Because he's holy. We need to approach God seriously because he is holy. Look with me in verse 9. It talks about God is going to appear to them in a thick cloud. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and they may also believe you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them. Now you probably haven't used the word consecrate and I'm not saying concentrate, okay? I'm saying consecrate. You probably have not used that word this week. If you have, I'd love to talk to you afterwards and see how you were using that word, okay? Because that would be really good. Not concrete, not concentrate, because we have used the word concrete around here, okay? We're in building mode. So concrete has been used probably this week. But consecrate? No. That sounds like a word. That sounds like something bad they're going to do to you at the hospital or at your doctor's office. We're going to consecrate you. What is that? Do I get pain? Do I have a pain reliever for that? No. Consecrate. So here's God's going to appear. And so he tells the people, go to the people, Moses, and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Consecration really means to be set apart for God's own possession. 
to set the people apart. And then he gives us ways in which God, that Moses is going to set the people apart. And remember, these are examples and types for us to help us understand how we ought walk now in our faith. And so we pick up in verse 10 and it says this. So go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments. So the first part of consecration is they are to wash their garments, their clothing. Now, this is something different, means something different for them than it does us. Because wash, most of us, now if, if this is not you, I'm not trying to brag, but I have a washing machine in my house, okay? Oh, okay. It's old, but it, it works, okay? And so when we have clothes, sometimes the pile gets really high, okay? When that's not because of my wife, that's just because we generate, it's amazing how much dirty clothes like three people can generate. It's unbelievable. And so when we want to wash clothes, you know what we do? Throw it in the washing machine. You know what happens when you turn on the washing machine? Most times, okay, when it's working properly, when you, when you pull the little lever and you put the soap in and then you add the clothes, what happens? Water comes into the washing machine. The washing machine agitates everything up and does that for you. Then you throw it into the dryer. And it's pretty, if you said, God told us today, like, all right, before you show up, wash your clothes, that'd be really easy. But they're in a desert. Do you remember that? They're in a desert. And their only source of water was and was and is a rock that is located nearby that Moses struck and God produced water coming out of this rock. And so for them to wash, plus there are two million people who have to do this. So here's how they, this is pre-washing machine and they don't have running water except for what's coming out of the rock. So you know what they have to do to go do this? They have to go, two million of them, to the one water source and wash all of their clothing. So you may hate doing the laundry, but they really hated doing the laundry. Plus, they only usually had one, maybe two sets of clothes. Okay, so this is a big deal to wash your clothes. Why are they doing that? It's symbolic to show that they are preparing themselves or trying to purify themselves in order to come before a holy God. And it's pointing towards this to us. When we come to God, we have to have we have to be purified. Now, we know that these clothes that get washed are going to get dirty again. So this is just a picture but what it means to, for them to meet God is them to get prepared by washing their clothes. The second thing we see in verse 10, 11, it says this, and it says, and be ready on the third day with your washed clothes. Verse 11, for on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then verse 12, there's some boundary markers that need to be set up. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. You shall touch him, but or no, uh, no hand shall touch him, the one who touched the mountains, but he shall be stoned or shot. They don't have rifles or guns. This is talking about a bow and arrow. So if you touch the mountain that is not supposed to be touched, you're not supposed to touch the person. You're supposed to kill them by throwing rocks at them or shooting arrows at them until they die. It's pretty harsh. And whether, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So the first thing they need to do to get ready for God to appear is to wash their clothes. And so it speaks to the need of purification. The second thing they have to do in order for, for God to appear in three days is to rope off the mountain. 
whenever there's a rope somewhere that's like roping off an area, don't you want to pass that rope? Is that, does anyone else have that? Like, don't, if somebody put up, don't push this button. Seven out of 10 of you, including myself, will want, at least want to or push that button. Am I right? It's going to happen. Like, why can't I push the button? What does the button do? Why is there a sign there that says I can't push that button? I want to push that button. And so it's kind of the same things with, we went to, we went to a museum and, uh, this week and I, I, there was some stuff that was roped off. And you just really want to get in the stuff that's roped off. You know, just kind of go over it. And so what's happening here is God says, put up these boundaries. Because I'm going to come on the mountain. And when I come on the mountain, it's going to represent my presence. And even though you've been washed and purified, there's a boundary. You cannot pass this. And if you do, or if a beast, like an, one of their animals, one of their sheep, or, or any of the, their livestock would, were to touch this, they have now, they deserve a penalty for violating God's holiness. And they, we don't touch them. You can't touch, put your hands on them to give the penalty. What you're supposed to do is throw rocks at them or the, at the person or the animal or shoot them with an arrow until they're dead because they violated God's law. Now, I'll tell you what, that's pretty frightening. That's a pretty big deal, right? Do you pass the rope? See, if you pass the rope at a museum, you might get kicked out. But most of the time, like, sir, that rope was there for a reason. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'll go back on the tour, okay? This particular situation, you cross the rope, you die. And so part of the preparation was they needed to be cleansed, but also they needed to understand God's holiness and his boundaries that he has set apart from them. And there's some places that you cannot pass unless you have somebody to intercede for you. And this this God is a big, huge God. He should be approached seriously. Because you think about that. you imagine you're out with your best sheep? All right? It's not dogs. They got a sheep, okay? And your best sheep goes and accidentally crosses the rope and eats some of the minor vegetation that would be in the desert area but it crossed the line little bo peep or what no that's the the shepherd okay lamb chop okay lamb chop you gotta take them out in this brutal throw stones at them way this is serious business and also if you have somebody just just accidentally ran over the line this is serious business you approach god wrong way you're going to die and if you look at the old testament they're trying the old testament is trying to help us understand something that god is holy and set apart and to approach him is to approach him in a serious manner now i want to be very very clear about this there is a most things in life you don't need we take too seriously we really don't need to take ourselves too seriously but there is one thing that i take very seriously and you should too it's god And there is a seriousness. So what we need to do is we need to approach God seriously because he is holy. Now, serious does not mean lack of joy. Serious just means like you need to know it's big time business. So let me just give you an example of what I mean by this. To continually hear God's word and to know, to, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the one who has taken away sins and through faith in him is the only way to have eternal life. If you spurn that, 
again and again when you're hearing the gospel and you don't you don't submit and believe to that you are opening yourself up rightly for god's judgment and wrath and you're not really taking him seriously you're just kind of saying yeah i know he said that i know he did all he did he he crucified his son but that that's not really true because I don't have to follow that and live in light of that. And so that's not taking God seriously. Another thing is this. is you come in week in, week out, you know the truth. You know what is sin. You know that your lifestyle is not matching up to what God has called us to in Christ. But yet you continue in that lifestyle. That is not taking God seriously. At all. That's treating God as some man upstairs. Some guy that just has good ideas of how you, sh- how you ought to live. And he helps you in your depression. No, you don't need a God. You need a therapist at that point. The God of the Bible is this great, huge, holy God. And you, we must approach him seriously according to his rules. They needed purification. They need to understand that they need to approach him seriously. And third thing we need to see in verse 15 it says, or verse 14, it says, So Moses went down to the mountain of the people, and he consecrated the people, and they washed their garments in preparation. In verse 15, it says this, And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Now, that sounds very strange, right? Like, keep your distance from ladies, all right? That is not the idea. This is a Hebrewism, and it is talking about not having sexual relations, abstaining for a season away from sexual relations. Now, I want to be clear about this. The, in, in the marriage covenant, God, God, sex is good. God created sex, okay? But it's only supposed to be enjoyed within the marriage covenant. The marriage covenant is one man, one woman joined in matrimony forever. That is God's design and plan. And so a marriage situation is where sex is ought to. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And so many times in the media or in TV shows, it looks like Christians are like, we're against sex and, and all sex. And that is not the case, okay? We are just against all the sex that God says is wrong and bad. And it's not good for you. Just, just give you an example of why sin is bad for you, or why sexual sin is bad for you. Tinder. If you're familiar with this website or this, this app and you can just have random hookups with people on this website or on this app, ask how many people who are using that are satisfied with their life. And just, I love having random hookups with people. It's really fulfilling me. It doesn't work. It won't fulfill you. It won't. That's why God made things the way he did. And so this abstinence here is not because God's like, well, I'm, I'm holy, so you don't get close to each other. Keep them naughty bits away. It's not what God's doing. There's a seed. You go in first, second, I know this is getting uncomfortable for you. I get it, but it's in the Bible, so we're going to talk about it, all right? Second Corinthians chapter 13, Paul tells people when they're praying and fasting that a husband and wife can't abstain from sex for a season in, in, in particular times of concentration and prayer and fasting, but that should not continue because then they might be led down towards sexual sin and, and compromise. Sin is not the problem. Our, us trying to fulfill our needs outside of God's will is the problem. So this don't, don't go near a woman. It's not like, all right, keep your distance. It's basically saying in this particular time, because I'm going to come see you, I want you to focus on me. And part of that is by putting away some earthly pleasures, earthly pleasures that are not wrong, 
Because it's not wrong to get dirty. Because you see here in the situation, they're supposed to clean their clothes. Does that mean dirt is necessarily wrong? That they shouldn't get down and, and work and, 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 and work the fields and, and do all kind of stuff, work with livestock? Absolutely not. It's not wrong. It's just for a season when you're preparing to come before God, there needs to be cleansing. There needs to be an understanding of the seriousness of God and how holy he is. And thirdly, you need to see here that sometimes we abstain from earthly pleasures in order to understand and see God more fully. And so we need to approach God seriously because he is holy. Like the people of Israel took God seriously. And now we have a full revelation of who God is in Jesus. So we ought to approach him seriously, which means we ought to come with the intent to obey, not just to hear God's word and be in church, but the intent to obey. Secondly, we also need to come with this. God, we want to do something in order to come near to you. The Bible says in the book of James that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us, which is a great, great promise. But my question to you is this. When was the last time you made a concerted effort to draw near to God? And most of the time, we don't have any concerted effort except for showing up at church. And I'm glad you did, because it's good to be here with you and to worship with you. And that does help, and that is part of the way we draw near to God. But there are so many other ways. And when we see this, we see God manifest himself in this really, really unbelievable way in the remainder of these verses. If you go down to verse verse, um, verse 16, the the third day comes after they've been consecrated, and they've taken God seriously. Now they're going to see the holiness of God. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that the people in the camp trembled. This is not a storm. This is a representation of God's presence in this particular situation. So God shows up on the third day and keeping his word, he shows up in a thick cloud and thunder and lightning are part of it. We had a good light, a late, like lightning show a couple of weeks ago when it rained. I used to live in Colorado Springs, and because of the elevation, the lightning was spectacular when you were up there. You could see it go through the clouds and then go down to the earth. It is an unbelievable thing. Many of you have heard thunder before, and it has scared you. You had done that jump thing. I have a little nephew who's four years old. He hates storms. And so what he has to do when the thunder and lightning comes is they bought him some some headphones for like kids that, you know, like the, you know, when you shoot guns and you need some ear protection, they brought him like the super little kid ear protection. And so he wears that. And he also has sunglasses he puts on. You know why? He doesn't want to hear the thunder. It scares him. He doesn't want to see the lightning. So he, so he puts glasses over it. Super cute. If I did that, it'd be super weird. Okay. You need need some help, brother. But if you think about this, thunder and lightning are great shows of force the power is manifested and seen in this lightning and thunder that is who god is also we see he's coming in a thick cloud we also see in verse 16 that there is a trumpet blast okay now there's nobody up there to blow trumpets except for angels okay so this trumpet blast could be angelic or it could just be that god is just making noise and if you ever, if you ever seen a movie where the in, it, the anticipation kind of builds with the sound, like maybe Jaws, okay, 
You get this trumpet blast. It keeps getting louder and louder. It's getting their attention. It's showing that God should be the one at center stage. And so it also said that it was very loud. And so all the people in the camp, they were trembling at the presence of God. He is serious in his presence. He is God. And he is coming down to meet with the people. And verse 17 says, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. They're not touching the mountain, remember, because it's roped off. They can't touch the mountain. But they all come up. They are walking towards this massive cloud, dark cloud full of thunder and lightning and a trumpet sound. You imagine the fear and trembling. They were trembling in the camp, and now they're walking towards the mountain. Can you imagine the awe and the wonder that God expressing himself in these ways? We see in verse 17, verse 18. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because of the Lord had descended on it in fire. So God's presence is also seen as the cloud or smoke and fire, just like in the wilderness. The smoke of it went up like a smoke of a kiln, and that whole mountain trembled greatly. So earthquakes and lightning and thunder and storm clouds and fire, some of the greatest and most powerful things in all of nature that humans can be involved with is, is seen manifested in this cloud. And God is, this is theophany, remember? God is showing you a physical representation of who he is. And in showing this, he is showing, I am not a God to be trifled with. I am not a God that you can take flippantly, but you must take me Seriously, this is a show of his holiness that he is altogether separate. Verse 19, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, so it was a trumpet blast that keeps like this crescendo. Moses spoke, God answered him. Showing again that Moses and God, Moses is God's mouthpiece. And the Lord came down from on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Remember, we need, we need somebody as the mouthpiece. We also see this. We need not just to approach God seriously, but we need an intercessor. We need an intercessor. An intercessor is a person who intervenes on our behalf or on the behalf of another. Moses is, is the intercessor. He's the one going between God and the people. The people can't come to God, but Moses can go to God and bring the message down to the people. In verse 21, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. So, hey, warn them. Remember the boundaries. Don't rush up here because you want to see how great and holy I am. It's going to work out bad for you. Verse 22, Let also the priests who come near to the Lord, consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them and punish them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through or come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them. And so all of this situation is meant to show us a couple of things. That God is holy and set apart. And to approach him, we must be holy and set apart. We must be pure. We must acknowledge his holiness. And we must turn away from earthly pleasures to come near. Now here's the great news. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, seen clearly in the person of Jesus, are the same God. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The theological term for that is immutability, that God never changes. We're thankful for that God never changes. You know why? Because if he made a promise now, he's not going to change his mind later on. You know why? Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Also, the reason we change most times than not is we learn and we grow. Can God learn and grow? Absolutely not. He's perfect in his, all of his knowledge and all of his holiness and all of his purity. God never, nothing ever dawns on him like it does on us. Like, oh, look at that. I never saw that before. He knows it all. He's omniscient. He knows everything. And so that God is the same God. So why is that we talk about love and coming to know God and being closer to him more in the New Testament than we do in the Old Testament? Now, it's definitely there in the Old Testament because what is God inviting the people to do to come and know him? But there's a barrier, and the barrier is the people's sin and God's holiness. God is far set apart than us. God is perfect in his holiness. He's perfect in every way he does. He's perfect in his knowledge. There is no sin in him whatsoever. But in us, we are not perfect in our knowledge. There is sin all around us. Our views are skewed by sin, and we have a difficulty with that we are lost and dead in our sins and we cannot approach a holy god on our own without an intercessor somebody a person who intervenes on behalf of the other in the old testament this particular passage one of the intercessors the one who would go between and intervene for god's people and got between god and his people was moses but you know there's somebody greater than moses that came an intercessor, one who would intervene on another's behalf that would remove barriers so that we can fully come to God. And this, this passage shows us this, that it is, it's no small thing to come close to God. It's a big thing to come close to God. And if you are not rightly prepared, God will destroy you, and rightfully so. You cannot look upon his presence. You cannot, gain, cannot gaze upon his holiness. But, and here's the good news, there is one who intervenes. In Romans eight thirty four, Paul asked the question, who is to condemn? Who is to destroy? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. There was one who climbed a hill and hung on a cross, Jesus, being fully God and fully man. And in hanging on the cross, he tore down the veil from God's, the veil in the temple, which represented the disconnect between God and his people because of their sin and his holiness. And in his crucifixion and in his resurrection, Once for all, he has made a way for people to pass from their sin and death into a knowledge of God, from them to climb the mountain of God's holiness, for them to come in and be partner with him, to be his children, to love him and to know him without the disconnect, to have an intercessor. Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus has made a way and he's at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf saying they can come God, not because they're holy, but because they're in me and now they are holy because of me. I've given them my holiness and my righteousness and they can come to me. 
And so what we see here in this, this part is, you want you to see this very clearly. God, approaching God on your own is a terrible fate for you and me. Approaching God with our own goodness, with our own righteousness, with I'm, good, I'm a good person is a terrible way to approach God. God is huge and holy and he should be taken seriously. And understanding him seriously, that means the cross means all that more because what we have here is Jesus tearing down the barriers. There was a go-between between God and the people is Moses. Moses was a good go-between, but he wasn't the greatest go-between. The greatest go-between is Jesus Christ who broke down the barriers between us and God through his finished work in Christ so that we might have full access to God. He is interceding for us right now in heaven at God's right hand. This is good news for us. And so we need in our lives, we need to understand God's revelation, which is seen fully in Jesus. We need to also approach God seriously because he is holy. Not to look down on the fact that Jesus is our intercessor who does this miraculous thing of making unholy people holy by his work on our behalf so that we can approach God. See, now those barriers that existed no longer exist for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's, we, that's, that's not for us to, this is not for us to take God's holiness any less seriously. It's to pursue it because now we can attain holiness. Not fully now, but we can move towards it in Christ because now we have this power. Secondly, if you are here today and you don't know Christ, you don't understand his power. Hope you see this. You can't approach God on your own. There's no way. And all you, your good works, are you trying to, Cover up your bad things with good things that can never make you right with God. The only way you can come to God fully and truly and to be known by him and to be changed and have a new life is through the finished work of Jesus, the intercessor. There's no other way. There's no other way. And in coming to him, the barriers are broken down. And there's reason to rejoice because they have been broken down. If you would, we're going to stand and be dismissed with these words of benediction. This is from Romans 8.34. Benediction means blessing. And so here's a great blessing for us as we can walk today. Who is to condemn? Well, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Indeed, is interceding for us. We have an intercessor. One who is speaking to God on our behalf. He is Jesus, no other than Jesus. Walk in that truth and that grace. You are dismissed.